0: Well, good morning. i am gonna be watching this morning to see if anyone's sleeping during the message, more than usual anyway, losing that extra hour. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was sitting in one of my classes when there was a knock at the door. A student walked in, walked over to the teacher, and the two of them whispered for just a little bit. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I thought it might have something to do with me, and I was starting to get kind of nervous about it. I hadn't done anything wrong, I I just had this thought, like, I hope it has nothing to do with me. And then all of a sudden, the student turned around, faced the class, and said, is there a Tim Herring here? And I very timidly raised my hand. And then the student went on to announce to the whole class that I had been inducted into the National Honor Society. I was so embarrassed. My face turned red. The guy next to me looked at my face. He just looked at it and said, what is wrong with you? It's like you—it's just beat red, and it was. I could tell it just heated up here, and it's like, oh, I, was just, I just was so embarrassed by this. I was also surprised. Um, I was an okay student. I just wasn't a great student, and to become uh, inductee into the National Honor Society as a senior, you had to be in the top 5%. So either they made a mistake or I squeaked in. One of the two. Now, at my school, and I imagine this is true with all schools, uh, when you're uh, selected for the National Honor Society, you get a little sticker that they put on your diploma when you graduate. In my case, they put the diploma on my twin brother's certificate instead of mine. So I had to make sure I cleared that up. So we both got stickers, which is about all we got. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the National Honor Society at our school was very active, but I didn't do anything with them. I don't think I even went to the the banquet for the new inductees. I didn't go to any of the meetings. I didn't go to any of the special events. I was a member of this organization, but it did not benefit me because I didn't take advantage of the opportunities. Now, it was nice to have a, a sticker on my diploma. It was nice to have a line on my resume, but apart from that, it didn't benefit me. I didn't associate with the group. I wasn't really connected with the group apart from that. We all know the expression, you know, membership has its benefits. But I don't think it does unless you're properly connected. It doesn't unless you take advantage of those benefits. If you don't take advantage of them, like with the National Honor Society, I realized that there were some opportunities for scholarships that I wasn't even aware of because I didn't go to the meetings where they were introducing all the potential scholarships. I missed out on that because I wasn't connected. I've mentioned before that a gym membership doesn't benefit you if you don't go. It's kind of nice to be able to tell people, I have a gym membership. It kind of feels good. It's only a feeling. It doesn't help you if you don't go to the gym. If you're not working out, what is a membership if you're not working out? Now, today, we want to continue this series, Why We. It's a series about why we do certain things as Christians, things that I believe are are really not optional. I think that there are things that that Christ wants us to be doing. But it's also a series about what we hope you'll do with us here at Chestnut Ridge. And the four things are that we've been talking about. The first one was, was serving, that God has given every one of us Gifts and abilities and talents to serve within and outside the church. The second one was giving. I talked about that last week, how God has blessed us and how it's important to give a return back to God for the ways he's blessed us. Today, I want to talk about this idea of connecting and then next week, inviting. We believe that if somebody's doing these four things, if they're serving, if they're giving, if they're connecting, and they're inviting, they're kind of all in here at Chesler Ridge. You know, people sometimes wonder, what, is it, what does it mean to be involved here? Well, we think it involves these things, that you, you're using your spiritual gifts, you're helping to support the ministry financially, you're connecting with other believers in a meaningful way, and then you're inviting people either to Christ or to the church where they'll hear about Christ. And when you're doing those four things, it's it's being all in. Now, I realize we live in a, a busy society. And this is hard. This is a hard thing. Who has time these days? I mean, it starts with the fact that all of us, you know, work 40 to 60 hours a week in a typical work week. And then on top of that, you spend time with your, I hope, your spouse. And you spend time with your kids. And that takes a lot of time. I had five. And at one point, three of them were playing baseball at the same time on three different teams. And one day, one evening, they were all playing at the same time on three different fields. And so I went to one game, my wife went to one game and we had to pay someone, not really. (laughs) We had to entrust our oldest to another person because we just could not physically be in three places at once. And this didn't include, of course, practices, and all the other games that we had. And so I realized, you know, you are working your job, you've got your family. Some of you are part of other organizations that request your time. And some of you are very active in volunteering for a variety of things. And then all of a sudden, the church comes along and says, hey, you really need to be connected with other believers in a meaningful way. And it could be a challenge, it might not seem reasonable. But I wanna ask whether or not it's possible that our spiritual health is being compromised because we're not more connected with other believers. If there aren't things that we're missing out on, just like I was missing out on because I'm just not as connected with other believers as I should be, and I think the answer to that is yes. Now, I wanna talk about the reasons why I think it's a good idea to be connected relationally with other believers in Christ. And I'm gonna use three letters to help you remember it. The letters are GPS. Of course, you know what a GPS is. A GPS is a global positioning system. So a, a GPS shows you where you are, but it also gives you an idea of where you need to go and how to get there, how to get there. And we think that this is true of community, that there are three main benefits that you have being involved with community. The first one is this, growth. The G stands for growth. We think the church is the main vehicle that God has chosen to raise people up to spiritual maturity. Jesus, of course, said, I will build my church. Jesus is called the head of the church. And it's very much like a physical family. You know, God designed the family such that there would be a mother and a father, and then the child would be born within that context. I recognize it doesn't always work that way, but this was God's original design. That you've got a couple, they have a child, the child's born within a family because that child cannot really navigate it all on his or her own. I think the same thing is true spiritually. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're born again, we're born anew, we're born into a family. Suddenly there are spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and ones that'll come alongside us and they can help us grow Spiritually, because we need other people to help us do that. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4. We're going to begin in verse 7. I want to mention at the front end, though, that the first few verses of this are a little bit mysterious or maybe confusing, and I I want to explain it when we get there. But Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 7, Paul wrote, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift or Christ's gift, of course, the word Messiah is Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. He is the Messiah. And it says here, each person has been given a grace or a spiritual gift. It goes on to say in verse 8, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints or the believers to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Christ's son or God's son, growing into a mature man or a mature woman with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, that's the goal, that last line, growing into this place of maturity, growing closer to Christ, being built up, and it all takes place within this context that he's describing here. Now, Paul uses an analogy here that we're not real familiar with, but in biblical times, his his readers would have known all about it. It was in biblical times, if a king came back into the city after a tremendous victory. There would be like this, this great parade that would enter into the city. He'd be well-received. The whole city would come out to cheer him on and all the soldiers. And part of what was included in this parade were captives, prisoners. They'd be in chains. They were some of the ones that were defeated in the battle. And all of this is ushering through this city here. And then sometimes in the joy of the occasion, the king would throw out some of the plunder to the people who had gathered. They'd give gifts. Now, Paul is using this analogy to talk about what Jesus Christ did for us. He's describing this scene where Jesus went to the lowest parts of the earth, in his death and burial but that he rose again from the dead and then it's describing this scene of this like a parade that's going on and then it says in this parade that there are some of the enemy now we don't know if this is just figurative or if in some sense when jesus went down into the grave you know he was gone for three days and people wonder where was he and some suggest he actually went to hell for three days maybe he did We're not sure, there's some mysteries related to that, but some have suggested he went down and really made a proclamation of his victory to that group, I've overcome. And he's rising from the dead in great victory, and then what does he do? Well, the passage talks about giving gifts. Now we have an example in the Old Testament where King David did this. King David had defeated the army of the Philistines, which he did on several occasions. And shortly after one of these defeats, we have a scene where he decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, this Ark of the Covenant was that box that Moses had built. It was covered with gold. It had angels on the top. This Ark or this box contained the Ten Commandments and maybe some other things. And it had been stolen by the Philistines but had since been returned. Actually, they got got afraid of it um, and they sent it back to Israel, but it was in the wrong place. And so David comes back from defeating the Philistines over here. He says, let's bring this back into Jerusalem. And the whole, everybody gathered for the occasion. And then we read in Second Samuel six nineteen. Then he, David, distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women, then all the people left each to his own home. He came and gave gifts, three gifts to literally every man and woman in the the crowd here, these, these wonderful gifts. This is the picture here. When Jesus rose again from the dead, what did he do? He gave gifts, spiritual gifts, to the church in the form of spiritual leaders, but more than that, every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an enablement. It's an ability that you have to do something to strengthen the rest of the body of Christ. Now, there are about 23 of them found in the the New Testament, these spiritual gifts. Uh, These enablements are things like, uh, there's a gift of hospitality, the word literally means a lover of strangers. Some of you are so amazingly hospitable. You just have this ability to be hospitable. And that's not like everybody because a lot of people say, not a chance. You know, you don't, a lot of you do not want to be hospitable, but some are gifted. There's a gift of mercy. Some of you enter into somebody's suffering and it's amazing. When when you're there and you enter into their suffering, the ministry that takes place in that moment, there's actually a gift of giving, where some of you just have this ability to be very generous. There's a gift of teaching, there's a gift of evangelism. There are about 23 of these different gifts that are listed in the pages of the Bible that Jesus gave to the church. And he gave it to the church so that they might grow, so that we might grow, so we might be strong, so the church might hit on all cylinders, so that we might accomplish in our day what Jesus has for us to accomplish in this place. Now, with that background in mind, let me read the verses again and see that you don't see the picture of the whole thing then. Where Paul writes, with the grace that's given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift, Jesus' gift to each of us, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. Again, who those are, we don't know for sure. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. In other words, he might be Lord of heaven and earth and everything in between. And he Personally, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints or believers in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into a mature man, and I would say, or a mature woman with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. This was Christ's design. I'm going to give all these different gifts to help us grow. He continues by saying here in verses 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow, there's the word, in every way into Christ, who's the head, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, which is us, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And so you see, he's saying as each part does its part, I love the fact that the church is referred to as being like a body. Physical body has a lot of parts. I've got one body, it's got different parts, and all the parts do different things, and frankly, I don't want to get rid of any of my parts. Now, I did have to yield one up to surgery recently. That one did need to go. But we need the parts of the body. They don't do the same thing, and so my hand doesn't do the same thing as my feet. I do not eat with those, usually. No, It's a different part of the body got a mouth got a stomach paul goes on to say in other places that you need others and other people need you this is it's a body we're all fitting together we all need one another so that we might grow and each part has a unique function but if we're not properly connected if each part is not connected if there aren't the supporting ligaments what happens when a part of the body is cut off doesn't do very well does it But growth is one of the results of being properly connected. Number two is protection, the P in GPS. When I read the passage earlier, I skipped verse 14, but let me add it now. Paul said, then we will no longer be little children as we've grown to maturity. We'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. He's saying there's a certain protection we have when we are connected with one another related to our beliefs, related to doctrine, related to ideas out there that we need to be protected from because not all ideas are true, not all ideas are right, and it's very, very easy to be led astray. And when we're not properly connected, we don't have a check and balance where people can come in and say, hey, that's not a good idea. That doesn't line up with Scripture. This past week, I, um, I read about a church out in California that's got some pretty odd beliefs. I didn't believe it until I checked several sources to confirm, is this really true? Because it's a church known for worship. And one of the things they teach is what's called soul-sucking. It's like, what? They believe that if you go to a grave of somebody who was holy or spiritual who died and you lie on that grave that you'll be able to suck up some of the residual power that that person had. And so you've got these people going to these graveyards of these famous people in this church sucking up the power. You won't get any power doing that. You'll get dirty. (laughs) That's more occultic than Christian. That's not a biblical idea. They base it loosely on some ideas from the Old Testament. You remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? How the prophet Elisha prayed for a double portion, and that's what they're asking for. It's unbiblical. It's not the truth. It's not right. They also teach things like astral projection. They're telling their kids this. I saw the actual Sunday school teacher teaching the kids how to somehow release your soul from your body. It's occultic. It's not biblical. Not all ideas are right or good. And if you don't have people that you're connected to to say, hey, this isn't good. There are lots of ideas in our society today that are concerning to me. It's, it's hard to believe, I admit. It's hard to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's just that we live in a pluralistic society and there are lots of gods and ideas out there. So it's just hard. It's, it's just hard to deal with that, that, that idea. He's the only way. You can't get to heaven apart through him. And if I were relying on human wisdom, I might land in that place. But this is where, again, the Bible comes in and other Christians come in. And I read verses like where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now I'm faced with a challenge. Do I I believe if Jesus, did Jesus say that? Do I believe that? I'm the way, the way, the truth, the life? Or elsewhere where John said, he who has the son has life, but the one who does not have the son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on that one. Why? Because, well, they're still in their sin. It hasn't been removed through faith in Christ. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what we believe But our culture has trouble with that. And unless we're connected with people that will sometimes help us, it will be easy to be led astray. Now, we're led astray in other ways. I think, for example, when we're not properly connected, especially in a church this size, it's easy to drift away. Just drift away from your spiritual walk, drift away from your relationship with God. You, you fall through the cracks. You disappear, but it's such a, a big congregation, you don't recognize when people disappear. But when you're connected, that won't happen. You don't show up a few times to your community group and they say, hey, hey, how you doing? What's going on here? We miss you. And it helps them. Or sometimes people drift into various sin areas and they give themselves to those areas and there's no check and balance in their life. In Hebrews 3, 12, and 13, the writer of Hebrews said, watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God, wanders away from him, but encourage each other while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. It's talking about the fact we need to be in relationships with other believers so we're encouraging one another all the time so that we don't get hardened in our sin. See, sin is a very deceitful thing. First of all, it promises one thing and delivers another. It's a liar. It's deceitful. Like what happened in the Garden of Eden? You eat from the tree and you'll be like God. Well, that wasn't true. They did suddenly no good and evil like God did, but, but they didn't become like God. They got kicked out of the garden. Sin is a liar. But also, there's another deceitful nature about sin. It, when we're in it, we tend to justify it. We was something that we knew before, were confident before, was something that wasn't good or right, but now we're doing it. And, and, and we think, no, this is fine. I, I'm living. I seem to be okay. In Galatians 6.1, we're told, if your brother's in some sin, gently go to that person, restore him. But if you're not connected, often this won't happen. James wrote, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So, so we need this. We, we need protection. We need to grow. We need protection. The third thing, the last thing is support. We just need encouragement and support from other Christians sometimes. In Galatians 6, 1, Paul wrote, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. He's talking about the church and other believers. Carry one another's burdens. Or in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And it certainly is much nearer than when he wrote these words. Let's consider how to motivate people to love and, and, and good deeds. And let's, let's, let's not neglect getting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another because it's going to get tough. We all go through hard times. We all go through difficult times. And sometimes we just don't have other people in our world to help us. Often when someone goes through something, maybe that's, uh, they end up in the hospital, it's fairly serious. One of the first questions we want to know is, are, are, you, are you in a community group, a small group? Because if they are, we know somebody's going to be going up and, and seeing them. We know that they're going to be taken care of. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation and we are alone. And we need other people in our lives. I think as our society gets worse, by the way, that we're gonna need more and more encouragement because it's getting, it's getting harder, for me anyway. It's getting harder to be a Christian who stands up for what's taught in the Bible. It's just getting harder. I'm gonna want people in my world that say, you know, this, you're, you're right, this is the truth, this is the way. I need that encouragement, you need that encouragement. But ultimately, we need to be supporting one another. And so 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-six, the Apostle Paul said, if one member sub- suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is really true. Again, if we're connected, if we're not connected, I don't think this is gonna happen. Now, what is it that we are asking you to do about this? Well, there are opportunities for community in all kinds of ways. You can go to different levels of community and involvement. A simple thing about community might even be uh, when you see somebody out in the lobby there that's standing alone and they're not connected yet. And they don't know anybody. Just going up and welcoming them and, and being a friend is connecting with that person and maybe they will take the next step. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's about just having some Christian brothers or sisters in Christ with whom you are having a cup of coffee and enjoying being together. We think one of the best ways to do this is to get involved with a a small group, a community group. Now, some of you have tried that, maybe it didn't work very well. We know of of many that they went to a group and they just didn't connect. Wasn't that the group was bad or anything, they just didn't connect with the people in the group. I know someone that went to three different groups, the third one was the charm. The first two, they really didn't connect with the people in the group, that's okay. But the third group became like their, their physical family. That third group became their lifeline. They fell in love with that third group, this group of people. If we're not connected in these ways, we don't get to a certain depth that I think we need to really help one another in a meaningful way. So we encourage you to get involved with the group. Now we realize, by the way, as a church, we don't always do a good job with some of this. Some of you, I I think, for example, of those who are elderly. Sometimes we wonder, what do we do with those who are elderly that, that have trouble making it to someone's home for a group or even to the church for a group? What do we do about that? And sometimes we don't answer the question well. Or some of you live a long ways from here. Some of you are coming from Cumberland. I've heard of people coming from Pittsburgh even, which is surprising. Uh, and, and, and so this idea of getting connected in community is hard. I'm just saying it's hard, but maybe you're the one that opens up your home. Maybe we could help as a church and say here are some other people that we know live in your community or live close by so that you have some where you are. The important point is to get connected. I want to close with just mentioning some places to get connected with one slide here that has some of them. High school, if you're a high school student, They meet Sundays at 4.30 here. It's a place to get connected, college. Meets on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. Young singles on Tuesday at 7. There are men's groups on Tuesday evening at 6.30 and Friday morning at 6.30 a.m. I won't go to that one. (laughs) I love you, but no, I'm sleeping. Women's groups Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. or Wednesdays at 9.30 30. So There's support groups on Wednesday it's at 6:30 for whatever struggle you're going through. There's support groups, and there are more. If you're wondering where to get connected in, I encourage you to consider stopping at the Next Steps booth that's out in the lobby because they could point you in the direction of whatever group might be good for you. Also, if you come to this membership. Uh, opportunity we have beginning next Sunday and it's three Sundays in a row Though it's only an hour long or so three Sundays in a row you'll also learn more about some of the opportunities that you have let's close in prayer father I know that um, a church this size sometimes it's hard to connect and yet um, when we do get connected in a smaller group or even some ministry opportunities uh, it makes a big church small we begin to see people we know and we recognize and we develop a depth of relationships and we begin to be able to help one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another and protect one another and we grow as we use our gifts. I ask you, Father, that you'd give us the grace to put into practice what we've talked about here today. Help us to recognize the need we have to be connected and that we would have the courage that we need to take the step that would lead to that connection.